Well, hold on. Let me close my door. I don't want no surprises popping. Yeah, last week before we started. What you doing up here? Yeah, no. <laughs> you like, I'm recording the podcast. Can you close my door? Yeah. That's the most awkward part because I'm just like, yo, I'm trying to make no eye contact, but my hands are just like, yo, get out of here. Yeah, just chill, chill, chill. <clears throat> All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is another episode of the Bench Mob Podcast. Season two, we have today our special guest, Julian Penix Odrick, former Rutgers um, Rutgers star, 2016 Homer Hazel Award, 2016 Academic All Big Ten, team captain, a lot of list of awards. Uh, He was definitely talented. Um, We are glad to have him on the show today. How are you doing today, man? I'm great. I'm great, man. I'm great. It's uh quarantine life looks like it's uh, figuring itself out figuring its way out of here so I'm, I'm happy man but i appreciate you having me on bro I've, I've been keeping up with you guys and you know i appreciate you guys taking the platform and just creating something on your own i told you that before but thanks for having me man thanks, uh, we appreciate it um not to be remiss and also have to mention he is also marketing coordinator um that's his official title he does a lot of stuff so we're glad to have you on the show We've, uh, in our process, we've used a lot of your wisdom and advice to continue and try to better our show. So we appreciate you. Um, Speaking of quarantine, we we see it's ending, but how has quarantine been for you? It's been cool, man. It's it's a mix between like refreshing because you get to kind of stay in your own space. You feel like you get a lot more time back to yourself, but um, it's super weird, obviously. Like, you, you know, you start to realize how much or how many aspects of yourself is are attached to, like, being social, being around people, or even just, like, an interaction with people. Have, like, mm-hmm. hug, like, giving people hugs and, uh, you know, it's, it's been a really interesting kind of uh, time. But nonetheless, I think there's been a lot of positives. I've been staying active. So quarantine has been, uh, you know, positive, as positive as it could be for me. How about you guys? It's funny, though, because I feel like since quarantine started, I'm a lot more active as far as, like, exercise. Because, right. I mean, we have time for it now. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's one of the positives I take out of it. I mean, it does suck that we can't – we couldn't interact with that many people because of the fear of passing the virus on and what that could do to our loved ones who might have, like, health conditions. But – I mean, Jersey's been one of the states that's been pretty good with keeping socially distant from people. And feel me, you know, the numbers don't lie right now. Feel me, you know, it's all right. Things are opening back up. People a little bit more comfortable. Obviously, not everybody, you know, has had extremely positive situations, but it seems like uh, so. Hopefully, it keeps it up. Yeah, yeah. Quarantine for me has been has been good. It's been a little bit of a struggle for me. I like to travel and get out. So that's what's, that's what's been hard. Me and my wife had stuff planned, a couple vacations, dud up, dudded. But, <laughs> hey, it's, just, it's a blessing in the sky, I feel, being able to be home, uh, work out more, spend time with your loved ones that you're actually able to be near. Um, I've been talking to a lot of family members, so 
quarantine been good for me. I'm glad it's done though. It's starting to end, so we can get back to somewhat a little bit of normalcy in a sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like now it's weird because it's kind of like, how do you get back into it? It's like, yeah. Cause everything, cause like, all right, we comfortable, and then you see people start. You're like, all right, you're a little too comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, we were just in the house for like three months. You might want to relax. But it's like, well, then how else do you get back into regular life but to do it? So it's one of those weird things. I think this is really going to be our new normal, honestly, for for a while. This is going to be the new normal. So everything. I mean, they still tell me it might be a second wave. They don't have a, a cure or anything left. For it. So we'll see what happens um, regarding afterlife and whatnot. Yeah. All right, so to hop right into it, I know we all know that there's a, a protest going on today in Newark, probably right now. And it's important to keep keep going with this, like protesting and bringing awareness to this social injustice. But I mean, for athletes, some, some of them, it's a little easier for them to use their platform. Uh, I, I, I haven't really seen that many college athletes like using it in a way. So I just want to know how different is it for college athletes to voice their opinion on social justice topics compared to like professional athletes? Well, you know, I would say the first thing is leverage and voice. I mean, college athletes aren't even paid for what they do in college athletics. They can't, you know, use their name. They can't use their own name and likeness. Mm -hmm. So when you start speaking out on things and there's this whole idea about being part of the team, it's, it, it puts you in, I think, in, a, in an ideological space of like, you know, your voice is already quelled in so many other places and ways that coming out and, and, and speaking about um, just that are issues that may be a little bit more controversial, um, you know, could be, you know, a little bit more interesting. But I think, you know, I think today's climate, you know, athletes, college athletes have the ability to do that, especially, you know, with the advent of social media and then um, passing laws on name, and, name image, and likeness and, and college players being able to eventually be represented and, and make money off of their names. I think we're moving in the, the direction of college players really understanding the platform they have um, and being able to use it. I think the, the issue is they may not have as much time you know, in between school, athletics, being an 18 to 22 year old, to really sit down and marinate with some of the topics and, and really educate yourself in, in a ridiculous, you know, way. Um, you know, it's not to say they shouldn't speak out, but, um, you know, they're less inclined to, to, to look into those things. But I think, you know, as a college football player, your first, your, 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 it's like your first taste into the system of the sports business, would essentially what we see. Um, and you're like, you know, you don't want to step on any toes. You don't want to say and do the wrong thing, um, you know, because there's so many different stakeholders in your college career and that you see around people that see you. And, um, and so I'd imagine a, a college player doesn't have, hasn't quite fine-tuned his voice as well as he, he might want and so or she might want. And so it might be a little bit more difficult in that regard. But that's not to say that we haven't seen it, though. Yeah. In your in your opinion, I think what you were saying that's that's very true. Um, you graduated. If you had the opportunity, I see a lot of players now are considering 
their way of speaking out is to go to HBCUs. Do you think that's a good route? Would you have gone to HBCU? Um, even though you see, you know, a lot of HBCUs aren't held at the standard of a Rutgers, a Duke, um, Florida State, things of that nature. So what is your thoughts on HBCUs and athletics? Yeah, I've learned a, a decent a decent amount about it as well. Shout out to DSU, Hornets, Domi, my boy uh, Rashawn Barrett. You know, I got a little commemorative Rob Busy jersey. <laughs> Well, me, 17, didn't play baseball, played football, played with him. But um, I come from a family that essentially all went to Florida A&M. Uh, mm. and, and uh my mom, she's like, yeah, why don't you look at AMU as a school? And I'm like, mom, it's, it's a different level of football. Like, it's not, it's not the same thing. I'm mean, like, yeah, but you got to see the March of 100. And you got to, like, you know, and it's such a culture. And, and I think I haven't even been able to appreciate that culture until I graduated mm. college. Um, and it's, it's, it's a different world. And when you lean into kind of who you become into society, opposite or outside of being a college football player where you're not treated the same as all the other students. Um, and especially, you know, as African-American, you're not treated as the average African-American uh, may be treated, obviously. So, you know, the HBCU has been more important in my psyche, um, at least for that you know amount of time. But um, I guess in what I've been kind of understanding, have you ever heard of a book called $40 Million Slaves? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, so they talk about HBCUs and they talk about how HBCUs really had the best teams when the schools were segregated. Like, you know, predominantly white institutions wouldn't let African-Americans join the football team or the institutions for that matter, right? Mm-hmm. And so they were relegated in their athletics. So it's like, we're, you know, we're going to go to the HBCUs and they were the best teams around. And they would draw wild, ridiculous crowds. Um, and then eventually you have to have an integrated football because it's like the most talented players weren't even playing. Um, and so I think going back to it is a lot of conversations to be had because um, you think about, you know, you have to have, like when you think about elite athletics, it's not just elite athletes, right? It's a lot of, it's the school investing millions upon millions of dollars. Yeah over time into infrastructure into processes into staff into uh weight rooms um into different things that would develop you into a predominant power um in college football landscape which then equals dollars which multiplies on itself so when you talk about an hbcu do they have the right faculties and facilities to you know, support that type of success um no not right now but if there's a concerted effort to try to make that happen, I think that's a super dope concept. And I think, um, you know, I think that can't be, that can't precede us as people investing our time outside of sports into HBCUs and considering HBCUs, um, you know, because we want to start with sports. Like, yo, you're five-star, yo, make a statement and go to HBCU. It's like, Bro, you went to Rutgers. Like you, like you could have went to. Like, did you try to go to HBCU? So it's like you're changing the whole uh, way we think about college in general. I think comes first before that. But of course, I think that's super awesome. Man. I think that's a super cool concept. Yeah, I think people people just they don't know if it's like the cool thing to do. Like they they want to go to like the Alabamas or the Kentuckys and like the big name schools that you know, on ESPN or ABC every weekend where, I mean, HBCUs might be on like ESPNU or like, 
ESPN Plus. Like you're not really gonna see those games. So, I mean, everything's on TV right now. So I don't know if I don't know if we can push people to to go to HBCUs necessarily. I mean, it's a start because I, I saw what was it a couple of days ago? One guy committed over like some big big schools, like a basketball player which is to start is you just need a couple people that a lot of people know about to go. And that could just start the, the run on like people going to HBCUs. Cause like you said, like back when it was segregated, <laughs> they were the best teams, honestly. Cause I mean, everybody knows that the brothers, they, <laughs> they play, they play better. They play better. I'm just going to say it, but it's, it's an interesting point you bring up too about, you know, net, you know, HBCU games not being on major networks, which makes sense, right? It's like, it's 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 you know, Division One AA football, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be on major networks nationally televised, right? In certain ways, the same way D one A teams don't get nationally televised, um, you know. But then also that that comes with attention and dollars. So the more the mindset changes, I think, around HBCUs in general, even outside of sports, and us having interest in us supporting, like supporting is watching, right? So, because when you think about marketing dollars, sponsorship dollars, what colleges and conferences make from network television is based on viewership. If you can bring in more viewership, it's like, I can sell more dollars against this, meaning I can pay you more. So if we, as a collective, have more interest in HBCUs, we'd be more inclined to watch them on TV. We'd be more inclined to go to their events, meaning that we'd be, they'd be more inclined or have a, a better chance of selling sponsorships. Because like, look, we can get this many people to watch. We can get this many people to come to our event, meaning we're more valuable. And so you got to pay us more. Then that trickles down into you know better facilities, trickles down into better recruiting tactics. Like if, if, if Greg Schiano at Rutgers can get a private jet for recruiting to fly anywhere in the country. Like that's a different level of recruiting right there. Like you can't do that. Like you just simply can't do that if you don't have the funding, right? Um, and so I think general interest in HBCUs will proceed, um, you know, a, a big rush into to elite athletes going there. And as they understand there, as we're seeing, as they understand their platforms more, I think, athletes will be more inclined to take that chance. Yeah, and I just think it's important for, like, some of these athletes to even, even if they don't go, just add one of these schools and go down for a visit and just check out the campus. And you might love it more than Alabama, where you're not going to see them as many people that look like you. That's, that's the main thing. Like, if I could go back in time and, like, do my whole college again, I'd probably go to, like, Howard or Morehouse honestly, because my dad went to Morehouse and he was trying to get me to go, but I wasn't, I wasn't thinking how I'm thinking now. So speaking of Howard, uh, you mentioned him earlier. It was McCurr Maker. He uh, committed to Howard and um, it's looking like Mikey's going to follow suit and commit to uh, HBCU also. Mikey Williams. You know, the interesting thing is, well, we played Howard a couple of times at Rutgers uh, when I played. Oh, we played Norfolk State as well. Oh, well, no, we played Norfolk and Morgan State. Um, and the funniest thing about those games, yo, well, because we would win handily, right? Yeah, I was going to uh, say. The funny, well, 
but the funny thing, the funniest things about those games were leaving, right? We would leave the game. I'll never forget taking a shower and then heading out, like walking to the car with my family or whatever. And then the bands would be leaving. Yo, when I tell you, you can have all the money in the world. <laughs> but when I tell you the bands used to be rocking, we'd be on the sidelines dancing. We'd be like, yo, dancing to the band. Because like when you, when you go to a, a different school, when you travel, because they will all be home games for us, they put the band in like the cut. Like they, some people put the band in like the third level. You know, it's the band is up in the cut somewhere. But when they started playing, bro, you know, it, it, it was a different connection, right? And you would look to your, your teammates and tell this is, you know, these are, so it's almost a weird kind of realization when you're like, wow, I have like a connection outside of even what's going on on the field, outside of this big stadium and our following to these schools that, that come to us, these schools that, you know, carry a piece of, you know, what we've been groomed to be, especially me coming from a family, like my mom went to family, my aunts went to family, my cousins went to family, grandmother went to family, like, you know, so it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, wow, you almost have a snap of like connection back to, you know, something that's really native to you, it's really dope. I know exactly what you're talking about. I had a visit at Morgan State, <laughs> they had a band in the hallway. I said, oh, this, I might like this. But my Dukes ain't want me that far, so I ended up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for the longest, what was it? Grambling or Southern at the end of the year would always come on TV, and, like, I would always tune in. And the best part of it wasn't even the game. It was the halftime show, like the Battle of the Bands. It's really something to watch an HBCU game because it's fun. They turn into a fun spectacle. Yeah, I'd imagine, man. Especially in a place like, you know, I keep mentioning FAMU, but like, there's in Tallahassee, and uh, I talked to my mom, and so is Florida State. So it's like you have these two kind of cultures, and they all like intermingle, and it would be real interesting to kind of see how, you know, that works, and how you almost have like an extra exposure um, at Florida State with the HBCU that close. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine, like, I would, it's real, I would, I would see kind of how and Florida State's one of the biggest party schools in the country too so I don't think it's really interesting to see how they would uh intermingle down there but mm. I mean Florida as a state has some of the biggest party schools so <laughs> Florida's an interesting place yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, Florida's an interesting place yeah. no place like Jersey no but so when you played football did you ever notice any favoritism and different like position battles favoring maybe one race compared to another race going for the same position. Like say, like you were going up against like Johnny Appleseed. Like um, they're probably gonna look at you for the same position, like DN at, at least. But because I know I I was watching your your brother speak with Brandon Marshall and that was one of the things that was brought up and I thought it was an interesting uh interesting take yeah it's 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 definitely interesting um yeah like you know you got to think it's 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 one of those things where you see like the more elite the sport gets in terms of level of play the more stratify the positions like we all played teams that you know white cornerbacks yeah. right white like white d linemen white safeties right um because again if you're playing 
in Livingston. Like there's like there's just not that many black people there. Like exactly. of course, you but then when you get to college football and you think about all right, more elite sports, you know, it's not as many colleges as there are high schools. So now you have to pull the talent, right? And then it becomes a little bit more black. But you still again have you know different guys at different positions. It's like or at different places. Like look at BYU's team. It's like they're all you know. It's not many black people there. Um, but when you get to the NFL, then it becomes seventy percent black. Right. Yeah. It's like football is interesting because it's like the ultimate meritocracy. It's like everyone loves athletes and jobs because they understand that it doesn't matter who you are. You know, if you work hard, you'll you'll get there. But uh, you know, I think you know, I think there are natural kind of stratifications that happen in football. Um, but there's all, they've also been extremely intentional throughout history. Um, so we got to think about it. It's like, well, if you're the kid that's always getting picked last, and we make the joke about like black kids getting picked to play basketball, right? And to pick a basketball game first. But if you're the white kid and you're, and you're picked last, then it's like, well, you know, where are your aspirations going to, to lead? Are they going to be more likely to be, you know, lead to be the athlete? Or are they more likely leading to be a coach? Or like, you have to think about, you know, how we think about ourselves in, in, in those positions. But um, I don't know, man. I, I think there's definitely a stratification. It's been an intentional stratification. Um, obviously, a black quarterback is really the, the biggest the biggest conversation out there. But there are traditional positions that are white. But, you know, like, you think about tight ends, uh-huh. Quarterbacks, linebackers are yeah. those in right naturally like those are the positions that you would find the most white people at. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, the top four quarterbacks in the league right now are black, so that kind of dispelled. Um, we talk, That's funny that you say that because we were talking about that in the last episode about how like there's like three or four of them in the top ten right now. It's it's crazy. It's super dope. Like it's it's you know. It, it kind of it kind of makes you take a seat, and it was like I saw something. It was like, yo, it's super weird that the top, you know, the five MVP, the five MVP candidates are four quarterbacks, four black quarterbacks, and a white running back. And it was just like, <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was like, you know, what world are we living in? But you know, I don't know if there's any like profiling that way. I haven't experienced it, so I wouldn't speak on anybody else's experience. I definitely know peers who felt racial tension in regards to their, their position group and their position rooms. Um, but um, I can't speak to it, um, you know, but it seems as such that, you know, you it, it depends on who you're bringing in, who you're recruiting, you know, what type of systems you want to run. Like, I think it's, it's, a, it's a case-by-case basis, so I wouldn't want to make a general statement. I don't think I've seen much of it, or if any, in my mm-hmm. time. Okay answer your question i know a long winded oh no nah, we appreciate it um speaking of quarterbacks one of um he was a top 10 quarterback i think he's going to be back on the rise uh we all know cam newton signed with the patriots what's your thoughts on cam newton um twofold question what's your thoughts on his contract five hundred fifty thousand dollars he's getting paid with a bunch of incentives that could get to seven million, but right now it's five hundred fifty thousand. And then the second part: Does Cam signing make the Pats a Super Bowl contender again? Um. Well, one, you know, just being a Cam Newton fan, um, it's 
I'm super happy to see him sign somewhere. Um, you know, and in terms of his contract, you know, in my opinion, obviously that's like league minimum for like, it's like vet minimum for what mm-hmm. he's, for what that's like the least he could probably make. Right. Um, and it's interesting because it seems like, like, well, obviously he should be paid, he should be paid more. It's Cam Newton. Um, you know, but it, it seems to me, and this is just my take that he was probably shopping himself around. Like right now, the quarterback position is kind of saturated in regards to first round picks and franchise quarterbacks. Like there's a lot of quarterbacks. Like you can look around the league and there isn't, I, there, you'd be hard pressed to find a team that has, doesn't either have a franchise quarterback or a guy they just drafted or a guy they just paid. Right. So like, yeah. it's like the, the league is extremely saturated. And so, you know, what he's probably worth and what he was asking for versus people already making investments in that position. He probably wasn't getting a lot of offers, right? So you just came off an injury. You are Cam Newton, but we just invested in all these guys. Mm-hmm. And then you're also thinking about salary cap, right? Cause especially now, right now at this time of the year, like teams plan salary caps like five years out. So if you're at this stage in the game, your salary cap is tight. You've already signed most of the players you're going to sign. So you don't have that much room. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything, you know, Cam, I think not getting those offers was probably like, I'm going to just go to the team with the best defense in the league and try to dog y'all. Anybody who didn't want to pay me money. Right. And you know, Belichick could take him. It's like, you know, take him. He'll take the personality. When I say personality, don't get me wrong, because a lot of times, we make people be out, about to be villains. Oh, he has too much personality. He's just like, nah, it's dope. But he also sat down in front of a YouTube video to call out the Panthers and how we're smoking a cigar and drinking. A, it was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, he's theatrical a little bit, right? But that's what we love about him. Yeah. Um, but that's they take, you know, they take those type of personalities and they make them work, right? And they, now we've never seen that shit or you know, seen a quarterback position, right? But, um, you know, I'm excited about that. Um, and uh, what's the, se- the second part of the – oh, are they a Super Bowl contender? Yeah. They got I – mean, they got to be. Gotta, like, you have to put them up there. Now, they got to go through AFC. And that man over there with the arm. I mean, you know, you can't you can't leave out Pat Mahomes and what they're going to do. Oh, I thought you were talking about the guy from the Jets. Oh, my bad. <laughs> yeah, they, they should have a lot of trouble coming out of the AFC East, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Brady, Tom Brady was day office was doing much last year, and they still thought I think they went five and one in the AFC East. Who got them? The Bills? Yeah, I think the Bills got them one time. <laughs> but it's all love, though. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you mentioned Mahomes. They got to deal with Mahomes and still deal with Lamar Jackson all in that AFC. So that's I didn't even think about Lamar Jackson. Yeah, no, that's all right. It's gonna be it's gonna be extremely hard to come out of AFC East, but they couldn't get past Ryan Tannehill and the Titans last year. So you know, hopefully, you know, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, they'll see some success. But now nah, you think about it too, and you know, I'm reading up, and you think about the type of offensive pass run. That's a very West Coast short pass game. Um, and Tom Brady's on the line, on the line, calling his stuff. But as a former defender, like, imagine Cam Newton on the line, on the line, 
calling his stuff. I don't see nothing. I'm taking off. Or every play, I have to think about this guy running. Or they might run a draw. Or they might run a power. Or he's going to, you know, give me, hit me with a rollout. My linebackers are scared to drop back into their deep third. Yeah. Underneath the shit. Like underneath the pass. And they have to keep eyes on Cam. And he's taking it over the top, right? And you still have uh, Kale Harry coming back because he was hurt last year. Their first round draft pick receiver. Uh, Muhammad Sanu was a recent addition. I think they didn't use him as much last year. Or he, he, he was hurt, uh, yeah. He was hurt, um, and obviously Edelman. Um, so you got pieces over there, and, and they have a decent running game too. So um, it's going to be real interesting. But the Pats win again. Pats win again. Bill Belichick finds a way to screw the rest of the league. <laughs> yeah. Year after year after year, man. All right, well, keeping it in the AFC East, you know, there's been a lot of stuff going around with, you know, Jamal Adams being real – Real interesting on social social media lately. What do you think of that whole contract dispute and how he's going about it right now? I mean, you can't fault a person for wanting to get, get their money. Yeah. Ron Adams had a lot of success in a very short amount of time. Um, and I think he's still, on, he's still on his rookie contract, right? You see the same thing, right? You're talking about the same things with Odell. Like, you wild out super early, they got to renegotiate your money. Saquon Barkley is going to be on the rookie contract. We're talking about people who are literally the best at, at one point were the best at their position um, in the league. So I think that's kind of the, the struggle with contract negotiations, but yo, whatever you got to do to get your money, man. I mean, you know, you have, you have loyalty to people, but this is a business at the end of the day. And if you're valuable and as valuable as you believe you are, when you have leverage, you use your leverage. Um, that's just the fact that it matters. It's business, you know. Um, so I'm with it. I'm with whatever he needs to do to get his money, bro. Get your bread. Like that's that's what you that's what you should do, man. It's not very much loyalty. They don't have no loyalty in cutting you, right? So yeah, <laughs> like it's like get what you got to get. You know, do what you have to do. Like you know. But it's funny because he has like two years left too. He has two more years left on the deal, and. They don't have to pay him right now. One, they don't have to pay him right now. Nobody's getting paid right now because of the whole coronavirus and loss of revenue that's going to be attributed to the salary cap. But, like, he wants, like, the money that he was going to get if none of this was going on, if, like, the virus never came around. He wants to be paid like that, and it can't happen that way right now. So... Well, contracts are long term, though. Like, well, okay, right. Take take the example you just gave. Yo, we're not going to pay you right now because of coronavirus. It's like, well, is next year coronavirus going to be happening? Am I, am I signing a one year contract? Like, what are we going to do? Because I want more money. We're going to be like, all right, cool. We ain't going to do this now. Let's do it next year. You know, I'm not going to take that chance, bro. I've already performed to the level fully exceeding my. I'm, questionably the best safety in the game yeah right so why would i wait like that would be that would be really not good negotiation if taking his stance on it right it's like i'm not gonna wait until I, i'm gonna sign a five-year deal during coronavirus so like there's all these unknown factors that you can well if this happens we can probably do this and it, you know in contract language it would probably be extremely messy and something you've never seen so you want to do it the way you know to do it but 
know, we'll see. And I mean, like you said, with salary cap figures and things of that nature, like you have to account for that and you have to make people make decisions. Um, but it's real interesting stuff. And I'm sure there's a lot that the public doesn't know. Um, and there's a lot going on behind closed doors, but he's being advised, you know, so um, and nothing he's doing is just him making it up. Like he's being just people behind him advising him on how to go about things. So I hope he gets his money though. Great player. Well, everybody hears him loud and clear right now. <laughs> hey. hey, the Cowboys will gladly take him. You come over here. We'd appreciate Jamal Adams. He can help y'all get to nine and seven again. That's it. The origin of the Cowboys fandom, though, real quick. Maybe I missed it in the previous episode. How are you a Cowboys fan? Born into it. I was born. Straight, straight, <laughs> straight out the womb. I had a Lakers onesie and Cowboys Pampers. It's always Lakers. The people in Jersey, the guys who are Lakers fans are always Cowboys fans. It's one yeah. of the it's, This goes back generations. My pops, pops, Jerry West, all of them. And then you don't want your son to grow up and be a Cowboy. Like, this goes. Nah, I started to start somewhere. That's awesome. All right, right there. Uh, speaking of, with Everything going on with the coronavirus, uh, you seeing little by little Ezekiel Elliott, players back consist- consistently are being – their reports are coming out, tested positive. What are your thoughts on the NFL proceeding? How should they go about it? Should they start it late? I know they mentioned that they're only going to have two preseason games. What are your thoughts on the coronavirus and how it's going to affect the season? Um, well, one, the, with the preseason games, I think – I think they were cutting one out, and I should know this. So I gotta go set. Um, I think they were cutting out one anyway, um, mm. other than the CBA, um, because there's gonna be 17 games. It's supposed to be yeah. 17. So, um, yeah, I mean, what do you what do you to do? I think when I think about them proceeding with coronavirus, you think of like, I think so often it's easy to take sports leagues as the, these. In, in athletes as people who get so much attention and they are now symbolic in our society of supposing they're supposed to do the right thing. They're supposed to lead with their businesses. And so if I have a business with so many constituents that depend on me, I, there's a lot of decisions besides like, yo, somebody's going to catch Corona. It's like, yeah, like someone might catch Corona, you know, but then we have uh, event staff that doesn't have jobs. Now we have, um, you know, we're not even thinking of it. Like now we have uh, people in the marketing department or the sales department who don't have jobs who can't sell sponsorships. And then you have those companies that are sponsors who can't go buy sponsorships. There's people's jobs to buy sports sponsorships. They don't really have any purpose for their jobs. And now you have all these different things. And, and like kind of we spoke about before, how do you integrate back into normal society? Um, do you just like not do anything until there are no cases in the world or do you try to figure it out actively and say, okay, well, maybe we start up and we just see how, how it goes. Cause if we just sit idle for another year, will that do more good or will that do more bad? And I think a lot of times we see that as well. These guys are bajillionaires. Like they don't need extra money, but these are vital parts of the local economy and the hotel business and the restaurant business. The economies around these places and these cities are built around these games, like and uh, in the in these different uh, venues being open. 
for tourism attraction during the season. And so you got to think about that. Um, and just so many different people who feed off of this organization. I said, you have investors that are like, yo, I got my money here. Like, where's my, you know, where's, I mean, you know, where's my bread? Like, what's going on here? Um, and then, you know, so you got to figure it out. And it's scary when guys get it. Um, you know, I think being healthy men helps you. But at the same time, like, you know, you, they got to have a protocol. Because it's like, well, if Ezekiel Elliott gets hit and he just got tackled by six guys in practice, it's like, well, do we just eradicate the whole team from the league? <laughs> like, you know, like, what do you do? And then yeah. you can't because you've planned for games for the rest of the season. Like, there's people who already started making arrangements and using their time and money and resources to accommodate you. So do you just cancel that? Like, so there's so many more, you know, strings attached that I think I'm not surprised that the NFL is gone going through with it nor do I see a ton of other alternatives right yeah I think it's now you go ahead no go ahead go ahead my bad I don't want to step on toes right now no I just want to say I was in agreement man like a lot of people don't factor in like you said the economies around it you got like you said the hotel business the people that work for these teams it's a lot of people out of jobs right now that's not able to provide for their families like you could look at it and you know in a microscope like yeah they're making millions but that person that's on the team on the practice squad isn't making millions you feel me so it's like it's a lot of other factors that go into it and like you said it's hard like are we going to wait till 2027 when there's no cases and you have a cure like it's 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 a tough situation to be in honestly no doubt no doubt and it's changing a lot of things behind the scenes too we had a guy in my company we represent a player who had to go get a physical. You have to get a physical to make the team, but it's like, yo, I don't want to get the virus going on the plane on the way to the spot. He was like, is there a clause that we could just say, yo, if this happens, like you don't want to, like me traveling to your facility to get this physical, it puts me at risk for things. So how do we handle that? Like, and you have to work with teams and those things aren't built into the contracts. Contract and what is what is the, the procedure, right? So there's so many different factors that end up changing um, that you have to consider. Um, but the, at the end of the day, you know, and I listen to a lot of uh, read a lot of sports marketing or sports business articles and podcasts, and no one knows what to do. Everyone is just guessing. <laughs> like so, it's not like all right, yeah, we. It's like maybe we just might as well just go ahead and try to. Yeah. And, uh, and the player, like you said, not everybody's making millions, bro. It's people just trying to, on the edge, trying to make the team, like, bro, whatever, bro. What, what we got to do? Like, let's let's just go. And that's the and that, and we can get into it later. But that's the difference between something like the NBA, something like the NFL, where most like where your guys are on the bottom rung in the league. Like, all right, dude, peace out, bro. Go get somebody else. Like, <laughs> like, yep. That's what all right, so what do you think of the NBA bubble situation where they're having the players isolated from the outside world basically for three months from uh, the end of July until, what, October? October, yeah. And the only way you can leave is if there's, like, extenuating cir- circumstances like birth of a child, you know, death in the family or other personal issues. So what do you think of that whole situation because they're like they're not going to be with their family or anybody for three months i'm sure 
we'll try to accommodate them to make this whole thing work, but it's tough because you don't want to give the virus possibly to your wife or someone else in your family if they were to come and visit you or you go visit them and come back. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know a ton about what their labor agreement is, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because again, they're employees, right? So, you know, what's the labor agreement? You know, what's, what, are we, what are we agreeing to do? You know, why are we agreeing to do it? You know, what are we kind of getting in return? Because they do work with others. With the NBA, what LeBron says I'm not playing, that changes the whole scope of the Lakers and the NBA, right? So like, you know, I, I, I am curious to un, you know, understand the full details, but you know, it's a lot. I mean, that seems to be, you know, I saw something that looked like they had like the, the, the courts, practice court set up in like a hotel, like conference room or something nuts like that. And they were like three back to back different teams. It was like, if anything, it'd be mad interesting to see how they pull this off and the different facilities they end up creating. Like, yeah this is nuts but you know as for the families and the players like it does put you in a really tough situation um, because I feel like there's two ways to look at it you can say well there's players who can't afford to miss out or don't want to miss out on this part of the career they're right on the fringe and you don't just say, look I'll do whatever I, I have to do and they're in a weird situation um, but then you have players that are like you know I don't want to take that risk you know I, I just you know so I'm, you know, I feel like players would be, you know, individuals about it. But as for not seeing your family for three months, it's a lot. It's a big ask. Uh, but we, again, it's a career. So it's a weird place to be in that you have to do certain things for your career. Will those things be the right things? Well, then that's when you start to discussing with the players' union um, and your employment. You know, but we can't question the nature of employment, which is, yo, we're gonna get it popping. So if you wanna come, here are the circumstances. Yeah. And so we can we can look at it right and wrong all day, but then we also have to be like, yo, they're employees of a, of a league and they have the power to leave or not leave or to use their leverage to try to influence, um, you know, but that's the nature of the game and trying to get their money. So how, how are we gonna do that, right? It's interesting. Yeah, because I know, what is it, Gordon Hayward came out and he basically said that, well, his wife is expecting and the the birth of the baby is going to come during this extended season. So he's he basically said, like, I, I've never missed the birth of any of my kids and that's not going to change. So then now he's going to leave for however long. And I was reading up on it for instances like that, when they come back, they're quarantined for like 10 days, I think, depending on how long you leave the bubble. Mm -hmm. So depending on when the birth is, that could be in like the semifinals of the Eastern Conference, maybe even the conference finals. So it's it's definitely a different time because we've never seen something like this before where one action really affects everything else going forward no doubt no doubt now with players like victor oladipo who just came out uh yesterday said he's not gonna be able to go down he's not coming down lou williams is on the fence on it uh who's a key player for the clippers you have multiple players that's not going to be going down there for whether it's black lives matter or for coronavirus or family reasons 
do you feel or do you think that whoever wins this year, that is going to be an asterisk by their championship? Like, let's say the Lakers go against the Clippers. They don't have Lou Will. Do you value that as much when there's going to be some teams missing players? Let's say the Lakers go against Celtics in the finals. Gordon Hayward back with his wife. That's yeah. a huge piece. Like, So what are your thoughts and views on the champion this year? How would it how would it look? Yeah, no, like those points you make are spot on. But, you know, it's like, but that's because the way we look at championships is that we try to equate them all to each other. One, there should be asterisks to every championship. Everything is different. It's like, yeah, we'll, we'll compare LeBron championships to Jordan's. It's like, yeah, but they were different. They played different people. And Jordan also didn't have the Golden State Warriors to play against, right? So you have, like, <laughs> you have – there's an asterisk to all of them because they're not all created equal. So I think in that regard, it's like everyone had the same – well, family-wise, not maybe not, right? But everybody in the league had the same circumstances. Okay. If, if you can say that, then maybe there shouldn't be an asterisk. Like if there's like a clear regional wild advantage that one of the teams has, it's like, ah, bro, we had to do this, but clearly you had the upper hand. Um, that's one thing, but if it's families, like I understand, like you don't want to go, bro. Like don't go. Like that does like there's no one. But if everyone had equal footing, you the asterisk would be like this was a wild ass year, essentially. Like it, it was like, but it wouldn't be like you ain't really earned this. Like it, it couldn't be that, right? Like it couldn't be. You know, you guys didn't play well. Like. Somebody, like somebody had to, was disqualified because they cheated and you didn't really like it was a technicality and it wasn't so it's like everyone had the same circumstances right or, or similar circumstances and everybody's gonna you know so I don't think from that level you put an asterisk but it should definitely be an asterisk because it's super wild but I don't think it should make it should be held against the team for winning you know it wouldn't mean the same as last year's obviously because you didn't have to play 82 games and you didn't have to you know worry about these different um, things but mm. and, it, and it's not like football where it's like oh nah you're gonna have to come to New England in December and come play it's like not nah, y'all on the boat so <laughs> um yeah so I don't I don't, I don't know uh, I feel like this it shouldn't be an asterisk just because this is like a different time that we've never seen and like normally like when there's been an instance like a lockout in 99 when they couldn't agree on like the different contracts and stuff mm -hmm. that's different so i don't think that deserves an asterisk back then neither do, does this now because it's still you got to go out there and play and on a daily basis you're probably not thinking that much about basketball like there's so much other stuff going on right now than basketball that <laughs> it might be tough to to win it might be tougher than any year to, to win a championship right now than it is because it's like you got the virus you got to worry about how your family's doing right now you got to worry about you know the social injustice that's going around in this country and and how you can use your platform for positivity so i think there there shouldn't be any asterisks for this and I, I, I'm not knocking anybody, but it's a joke that people think that there's an asterisk just because 
it's different. It's different than we've ever seen it. And most sports are going to be a little different. For sure, bro. And the people who are contending for the championships are kind of like, uh, you know, grab the championship real quick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a it's like a toss up right now. Anybody could come in. Like yeah, yeah, Lakers was nice, but Bron could be rusty. He's getting a little old. He's growing his beard out. I see the grades. You know, we got, he got some kryptonite now. Hold up, <laughs> I see them grades, bro. You're not not getting me. He's been on this road game game too. If you gave that man three months to get his hairline straight, he might come back. He might come back and wild out on you. Hey, chill. <laughs> so, yeah, you, yeah, all right. <laughs> so some people might see it as an event. Uh, like you said, even with the protests and people not coming back for that reason, could be could definitely be interesting. Uh, let's see. What do you think of the NFL's response to the social injustice this time around? After kind of brushing it to the side a little bit when you know Kaepernick was kneeling and trying to bring awareness to it four or five years ago. Well. The national voice is going to be a lot, the national pressure is going to be a lot stronger than, uh, you know, players in which you feel as though you have ultimate really control over in their platforms. Um, the same reason why every other company in the world <laughs> came out and posted a black square. And, you know, we stand with, you know, it's, it's good business. That's why they're doing it. And I think that's what the NFL is doing. Um, you got you got to be careful too when you're like, well, you didn't do it then. Why are you doing that? That's like, and I had this kind of debate with all, you know some other guys. It's like, well, would you rather than do it, or rather than not do it and say, why didn't you do it, or have them do it and say, wow, you're kind of fake. Why didn't you do it before? It's like, what do you do if you're the NFL? Um, you know, I think one of the biggest points I get we get news from social media now, but I saw I saw a meme. So I mean, and it was like, yo, we didn't ask, like, again, we didn't ask for you to play Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is a super dope song. I used to have to sing in elementary school, all our assemblies. Um, we didn't ask you to put BLM on, on the court, right? Like, so in that saying, like, that's not, not to say you shouldn't do it. I think it's super awesome. I think it's so awesome. I think it's dope. I think it's a win. I think when you force someone's hand, even if it's not, I'm not saying the NFL wasn't genuine in doing it, but if we were to assume that they weren't, if you force someone's hand to do that, you got some power, you got power, you got leverage. So you could say companies are disingenuous, which they have to do. It's like word, that's business, but it's power. I don't, I don't want your generosity. You know, I, I, I want equity. And so now, um, if I can, if I understand my leverage, it can make you do something that you otherwise wouldn't have done, even if you weren't genuine. It's like winning a bet. It's like when you win a bet, the person who you beat in the bet, it's like they don't want to pay you. They'll probably cussing you out on the way to hand you twenty dollars. It's like, bro, you don't gotta like me, just give me my twenty. Like, and and so that's 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 what it is to me. And um, I think it's dope, but I think as People who care about it, that can't be the thing that's like, word, word, we did it. It's like, that's not the goal. Like, that wasn't, that's not the purpose. It's cool, but that's not the purpose. And I think that's not even speaking to the NFL. That's speaking to the people who notice it. Like, the NFL is going to be the NFL. They're a business. They're organizations, corporations. 
the people can't take that as we gotta win. Here we go. It's like that. That is, you know, I think I would charge it back to that. So I appreciate it. You know, it's gonna be during week one. Um, and one last thing, I know I'm getting long winded on it, but one last thing I, w- I was thinking about was it's not a lift every voice in the same versus the Star Spangled Banner. Like if you make it that, it's it, it's not that, and that's not why Kaepernick ever took the knee. Kaepernick didn't take the knee to say screw the Star Spangled Banner. He didn't say that. So you have to be careful when doing that because now you're pitching two things that aren't opposing each other uh, against each other, right? It's like, no, I'm standing for the American anthem. I'm not standing for the black anthem. I'm standing for the black anthem and not the American. It's like, no, the reason this is happening is because we love what the American anthem is supposed to stand for. We love what America is supposed to stand for, but it ain't standing for that right now. And it's, it's a little bit hypocritical. And so we're holding that to a higher standard and we're not trying to destroy the standard. So we gotta be careful when we pit these things against each other because it's not that we, we don't hate America. We don't hate where we're from. We don't hate the thing that birthed us. We hate that what it's supposed to stand for is being hypocritical at times, right? Um, I would say. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, like you said, we can't sit back and say, all right, this is, this is enough. Like, it's to me, it's kind of like a smokescreen of like, I right, look over here, look, we're doing this part, but you guys are kind of ignoring still what we just want equality, point blank. Like, that's the you guys are missing the whole point of it. This is nice, like you said, it's nice. We appreciate it, but we still want to not have to be the same type of treatment when it comes to the police. We want Y'all to actually apologize to Cap, Cap to have a job. Like, those are the actual bigger things than just, hey, we singing the Black National Anthem and we're putting Black Lives Matter on the court. It's small. Let me pose you this question. If they were to give Cap a job right now, like if a team was to come out, one, the NFL can't give Cap a job, right? Because the NFL is not a team. Yeah. So it's individual owners who own teams and NFL would be the organization, right? So like if an owner was to come out and sign cap right now, what do you think we would say about it? Like would, would we say the same things that we said before? Well, this is disingenuous. This is nice, but it should have been four years earlier. Like is there a way to, to, to do – like if they signed him right now, could anyone ever say, well – it wasn't because of pressure. It's because we just thought it was a great opportunity. Oh, no. That's that's the tough situation. Like, if you're living in the NFL where Cam Newton's getting a minimum contract, it, now, didn't you sign Cap for what? The same thing? He hasn't played in four years, and even when they played, I would say there were probably stints where Cap was playing better than Cam, but overall careers, no question Cam is a way better quarterback. Of course. So it's, it makes it a little bit more difficult now to say that and, and, and to do those things um, because, again, it is a business. And as right as it would be, I think those are things to be, be considered as well. Because oh, you yeah, of course. Undervalue it. At the end of the day, like you said, of course, it is, it's a business regardless. At the end of the day, whether the players play in the NFL or the players play in the NBA, at the end of the day, it's a business. They're your employer. You're the employees. You gotta make the make these tough decisions sometimes. Uh, and it doesn't make blackballing right. 
Like that's what they no, do. of course. Right, and it doesn't make it right, but it's just more to consider. Not to say, but it would just, what would that look like? It's like the argument of like, yo, the 70% play, and Miles, you said you saw the uh, Brandon Marshall podcast, like yeah. 70 black players, but there's only six total black head coaches, GMs, and owners, right? And it's like, well, if you were to implement or change it, what would that look like? Would you like fire all white coaches and then replace them with 70% black coaches? Like which coaches would you bring in that were black? Which coaches would you fire and say, it's been real, but you're not like, so how would that work in real life? Um, and then when the black coaches come in, because inevitably uh, most, a good amount of them won't have winning records, right? Because it's a new head coach, you know, new team. Um, and you would, the coaches you would fire would probably be the worst teams in the league anyway. Right, because you wouldn't fire Bill Belichick. It's like, yo, bro, what you mean? Like, who would you fire? So, they'd probably not do that well. So then, how'd you met? How would you measure their success and say, well, you're supposed to be here? So it's like, nah. It's like, well, my team just went one in sixteen, and then everybody'd be like, yo, he's one in sixteen. Fire him. Nah, but he's black. We got to keep him. It's like, well, okay. Well, now we're playing a different game because where we're seeing like the advent of the black quarterback, Lamar Jackson is not Lamar Jackson because he's black. He's Lamar Jackson. He's a great football player. And that's the beauty. That's the, and he's black too. And it's like, yes. But it's like, he didn't get there because he was black. He got there because he plays the game at an extremely high level. And people historically have kept black quarterbacks out because they were black, not because they couldn't play. But now he's playing at a high level and he's black. And don't put him in that position just because he's a black. No, because he's a great player. Like, don't, don't put him in a box. You know, and so I think you think the same things. Where even that argument is like, all right, now if you just fire a bunch of people and put them in because they're black, like you, we have to hold them to a standard though, because we don't want to dilute blackness. Yeah. And, yo, you should just be there because you're. It's like, nah, we good too. Like we're great coaches. We're great players. So we earn this. You feel me? Like, don't, nah. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a slippery slope, is all I would say. I mean, the fact that they had to make a, a rule to get black coaches in the building is kind of just, I mean, it's a good thing because we need that to happen. But, I mean, the Rooney rule, it only goes so far. It only gets them in the building. And it, it almost feels like a courtesy to to an extent. How does one best combat that? You know, it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's the same idea, I guess. And, and, and I don't want to speak, but, you know, the idea of affirmative action. It's like, well, how do you combat it? Like, if you're not creating an opportunity like that, and we say, well, you know, it's not even a genuine look. It's just, you know, you know, and, and obviously affirmative action and this and the Rooney rule are completely different things, but like, how do you measure that? Like, how do you measure whether someone's worth it or not if something like the Rooney Rule exists? Because are you questioning yourself? As a black coach, I'm like, well, I'm taking advantage of this word. <laughs> like, I'm going to move in, you know? Um, but how do you assess that type of that, that talent? Because now it's like, how do you separate, oh, this was just the Rooney Rule versus, no, this person was like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and no doubt it, it, it makes you look at it differently prospects right that you may not have looked at before and then find out oh wow no they're actually qualified and 
you know, so you may not even look like that. But because I had to bring them in, I had to take a look at them. You know, so it's, I think, again, it's a slippery slope. And I think that it's, we can't make the, we can't make that problem more simple than it actually is. Because it's, it's complex. And when we make it more simple than it actually is, we can't find solutions to it. I completely agree with that. It's just, it's tough. The, the Rooney Rule has to be put in place because it's been so, it's been so bad so long. So that has to be put in place, but it's a slippery slope because then you don't want it to be this person only got hired because we have this rule in place. When there's obviously a list of, you talk about the world in general, it's a list of people, minorities that are qualified for positions, but oftentimes get overlooked. You had to put affirmative action in place. You had to put the Rooney rule in place. It's not the answer to it, but like you said, it's very complex because it's just been going on for so long. So it's nothing that I think is just gonna be solved overnight or you add one piece of legislation here, piece of legislation here. It's, it's hard because it's been going on for so long and it's just really what it should be. In an ideal world, obviously we want equality. Just give us that same equal chance to interview don't have somebody already in your head that you're going to hire. Just give us an equal chance to interview. And if we qualify, we qualify. Hold me to that same standard. If I go one in 16, hey, you got to know then as a coach, black, white, Hispanic, you ain't do your job. Fire. Next job, try doing an assistant coach or something or an offensive coordinator and then move back up the ladder. But now, now, if it, now again, now when you get fired and then they hire a white guy again, then are we in the same – predicament it's tough it's a cycle man because <laughs> then it's like because then, then even as a black coach the black athlete or, or the black anybody in any organization right you and we I speak about this too it's like you're representing everyone it's like yo imagine the black coach mike tomlin is representing any black coach that ever gets a job like you are representing like if you mess up uh, <laughs> like you know, it's like, that's why we was growing up, we used to root for the black quarterbacks. My dad was like, who you rooting for? I got black quarterback. And it wasn't like a, it, was, it wasn't a, a hate thing. It was just like, yo, and I was reading again in that book, $40 million Slaves, that they used to be, a th- I guess, a thing. It's like, wow, we, we root, we sit here, we root, you know, for the people to, to succeed. Um, and it's like, they're representative, though, and if they mess up, then they're like, but that's the problem. It's like, well, he can't even mess up. Because if he does, yeah. never do it. It's like, and that's the pro- that's more of the issue. Is like, hey, like we're getting we're assigning all this pressure to this one person, and if he don't make it, then you know we feel like that in workplaces all the time. Like, I, if you feel like the the black guy who you know, it's like I can't, you know, it's already a lot against me. Like I can't mess this up, and then you have to be careful because you stop being who you actually are. Yeah, that's tough. Like you said, it's it sometimes can be a short lease for us. Like somebody might get three opportunities to make a mistake. You get one and that's it. And then do you ever get a chance to try again? And in the society that we live in now, I don't think we give people a chance to grow at times, um, grow into their position, grow into what they're doing at life. Nobody it's rare, it's very rare. People get it right on the first time in life in general. It's very rare that all-stars, superstars are made overnight. Tom Brady wasn't winning Super Bowls from day one. Cam Newton wasn't an elite quarterback from day one. They had to work for it. They had to work through their mistakes. 
do we get that same opportunity to work through our mistakes, work through you had a, a game with three interceptions in the first half. More than likely, Tom Brady's still going to play that second half. Somebody else might be all right, we got to bench you. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, that's a conversation we can stay on all day trying to figure out some type of solution uh, to yeah, that. It's crazy how, like, it feels like the black coach gets that one opportunity and then he's, like, relegated to a coordinator position if he's not successful. Well, the last question I would ask to the topic, and we can move on, I know we're going to move on from it, but, like, how many, how many black kids did you know growing up that aspired to be head coaches? Maybe, like, one or two. And, but there, there's, therein lies another part of it. Like, well, there aren't a ton of people who've been working their whole lives to because even as a black kid, you're expected to be the great athlete. So you're aspiring to be a good athlete. Like that's what gets you clout in, 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 in the black community. That's what gets you clout. No one's talking, no one's congratulating. Like how many people are having parties and congratulating uh, you on getting a graduate assistant job? Word, yo, he's a graduate assistant. He's working on his master's degree and working under a, a great college football uh, coaching program. Um, you're working in a high level college football, like that's a great, that's a big, like how many, like you're not throwing, not putting on the hats on ESPN, right? Yeah. So what's, what's celebrated is being the athlete, especially in our community. Those are our idols. There aren't many people who's like, yo, my role model was the first black coach. It's like that, was, like, that wasn't it. Your role model was Michael Jordan. And so now we have to think about what we're aspiring to be and how that plays into the reason why there aren't so many there. Right, it's like like the same thing with HBCU. Just like, yo, D one athletes never go to HBCUs. It's like, well, in our culture, do we aspire to HBCUs or do we look at highlights of Alabama and Notre Dame and like those who that's who we look that's what we look at highlights on TV. That's what we're taught. So we're not aspiring to go to an HBCU. Like, why would I do that when I could play in the Rose Bowl? So we have to start shifting the way we think about coaching in order for us to see a change. And it's not like, well, we're gonna take these small pool of coaches and we're gonna make them the most prominent coaches in the world because we need more black guys. It's like, no, you have to take a pool of youth and say, yo, it's cool to be a coach. We celebrate being coaches. We celebrate your, your different achievements achievements in this part of athletics as well. So I think that's, that's a big part of it. Sorry, my last point, soapbox. Nah, you good. Um... I think like that's something that we have to do as a community across the board. Athletes are celebrated more than sometimes the doctor. Like you said, you're going to have the TV shows we put on the hat. I chose to go to Alabama. We got to have that same energy for those that I chose to go to Alabama because I'm about to be a lawyer. I'm about to be a doctor. Um, and like you said, it kind of starts at the ground roots. We got to get, we got to have that as another option. All right. Everybody's not going to be LeBron. Everybody's not going to be Jerry Rice. But you could coach Jerry Rice. You could coach LeBron. You could coach and then be able to put other people on. Like, all right. Like, I see with um, Mike Tomlin and Marvin Lewis, coaches like that, they typically try to put some black people on their coaching staff. And then from there, they're able to get jobs. So I think it's like, like you said, it starts at the ground roots of changing our perspective on how we look and celebrate what we celebrate. But we're going to transition into our rapid fire segment. Um, ask you a couple questions, whatever comes to your mind first, answer it. 
rapid fire. All right. We're going to be a little, some fun questions switch up from what we've been doing. What is your go-to meal during quarantine? Go-to meal. She's, well, I've been trying to be vegan. So <laughs> my go my go-to meal is probably a little lackluster. Um, go-to. Um, I probably do. I do quinoa salad. Boom. I do quinoa salad and I do uh Beyond Burgers. I try not to eat them too much. I do like Beyond Burgers and avocado toast. I probably like the main go-tos, you know, super like Montclair, Whole Foods-esque, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's honestly what, what I've been trying to eat, man. Nah, that avocado toast is A1. Plant-based life is A1. And People sleeping on it. You make it at home. <laughs> exactly. You do it straight at home. Um, what shows are you binge watching during quarantine? Um, I, honestly, I, I'm not a binge watcher. Oh, I lied. I binge watch one show, Avatar. They put Avatar on Netflix, bro. Avatar: The Last Airbender, bro. It's a wrap. That show is so deep. Yeah. It, it's it's a different level. So Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, I flip between that, um, watch a little Sopranos, watch, uh, I started, uh, Peaky Blinders. Oh, okay. So, so, yeah. Big East or Big Ten? Big Ten. Big Ten? <laughs> Come on, man. We talking about? <laughs> <laughs> talking about? Come on, man. I grew up, grew up Big Ten, man. You know? Old time it is. Well, it's funny because me and Miles used to, in like sixth, seventh grade, yo, we used to go at it because I was a Penn State fan and he was a Rutgers fan. And we went to Rutgers was in the Big East. I love saying that I was a Rutgers fan. I was a fan of what they were doing at the time. I've I always been a Gators fan. But yeah, he had Rutgers, yo, he literally had Rutgers in Florida. I remember. And it was Rutgers' his real team. But Florida had Tim Tebow on <laughs> He was bandwagon. I remember this. Because <laughs> I would argue yeah. every day. Because when I would say, yo, Penn State would beat the brakes off of Rutgers, he'd be like, oh, yeah, but it wouldn't be Florida. And I'm like, yo, how do you have two teams? How do you, how do you have your home team? And then all of a sudden, you got Florida. Um, nah, beside, though, he was a Rutgers fan, bro. <laughs> Who are you? Um, Jay-Z or Nas? Jay-Z. Jay Z, I think I think Nas is like, you know, you know Nas is classic. You know, it's, it's it, he's fun to listen to. Um, but I just like the the range that Jay Z's been able to put out, and and the growth you kind of see in his music and the different uh, kind of aspects. And yeah, I think it's more obviously lore. You know, he's more of a, he has more lore than Nas, and he's just a little bit more. You like to think that Jay Z is thinking on the, you know, on the level that you haven't quite comprehended. Like it's just fun to think of it like that. But um, yeah, I would, I would go Jay Z. Uh, speaking of some black quarterbacks, I'm gonna give you a throwback and a kind of recent one: Randall Cunningham, Mike Vick. Mm. Now we, I see your face, Miles. I'm, I'm saying his personal choice. I know Mike Vick. We know his talent. But I'm saying he could be, he could say Randall Cunningham. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. One, I, I would hate to speak Italy. I haven't seen either one of them play at, at Nozimat length, obviously. I wasn't 
Oh, especially not for Randall Cunningham, but I don't know, bro. Look at the record books because Randall Cunningham at one point was playing with Chris Carter and Randy Moss and was putting up stupid numbers. Vic was obviously no doubt Michael Vic, but there was a, you know, Michael Vic was Michael Vic, but I don't know if he's had the same success as Randall Cunningham. Um, Randall Cunningham, is Randall Cunningham in the Hall of Fame? No. He, nah? Nah. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's had the – and, again, he set the stage for Mike Vick. Would be, you know, would there be a Mike Vick without Randall Cunningham? Um, so, but, you know, obviously Mike Vick changed the, changed the landscape. And I think that, along with culture and hip-hop culture, which he integrated with a lot during that time, um, you know, elevated his status in terms of marketing, elevated his status. And then he had the highest contract ever when he got signed as the – and we all remember that commercial too, with the, the Mike Vick commercial. Yeah, last question we got for you, uh, speaking of hip hop, what would you give your top three artists right now? Top three hip hop artists. Top three hip hop artists? Yes. Um, that, I, that I listen to? That I'm listening to? Yeah, that you're listening to. Your top three. Um, it could be Lil B Bass God. It could be. <laughs> Hold on. Let me just let me take a look. No, I mean, first, I, who I listen to most, I think I resonate with the message of Nip one. And I and I think one, it's beautiful that since his passing, that everyone has kind of taken a new understanding, a new appreciation for him, as have I. Um, I did appreciate, I appreciated him before. Honestly, I started appreciating it from his Power 105.1 interview. Um, I just heard him talking. I think it came on just after the interview I was watching. And I just heard the way he was kind of speaking about certain things and the value system. And I started to look a little bit more into him. Probably Nip. Um, I listened to a good amount of Griselda right now. Um, and... Who else I'm listening to? I would say, hip hop wise, St. John. So I don't guess St. John counts. To, yeah, St. John is hip hop. So yeah. I, would, I would say St. John, Griselda, and it, honestly. All right, there we have it. We appreciate Big Tom for you coming on to the show, dropping a lot of knowledge on uh, some people that's going to be listening. Uh, some very good content, very answers. Uh, we appreciate your time, taking your time out. This is another episode of the Benchmark Podcast. We are on all streaming platforms. We are on YouTube also. Check us out, Benchmob. Stay safe out there. If you are going outside, wear your mask. If you need to, all that good stuff. Benchmob, we out. Peace. Appreciate y'all, fellas. <laughs>